turn up your radio, it's time for DeLorean Talk with your host, Dave Tavers. Hi, and thanks for listening to DeLorean Talk. This is Dave Tavers. I'm very excited today to have Jordan Livingston from the Bay Area here with me. Met Jordan at DCS 2018 and got a chance to chat a little bit. He's been working on a documentary for the last 10 years about the DeLorean community and the DeLorean uh, overall and uh, got a chance to chit chat and thought, hey, if I can get him on the show, we can uh, learn a little bit more about him ahead of the release of his movie, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly. So Jordan, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks very much for having me, Dave. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So I, I usually start out with the simplest question. What's your VIN number? I am 10657, and believe me, that has nothing to do with any of my ATM codes or PIN numbers or anything like that. 657, and I'm 515. We're, we're pretty close brothers there. Yeah, so they must be a couple weeks apart, I believe. So we probably have pretty identical cars. I'm guessing it's a manual, gray? No, I have that elusive gray automatic. Oh, you got an automatic? Wow. So yeah, that's what everybody says. The first thing they say is, "Oh, you got an automatic," and um, I wasn't really looking. I was sort of agnostic. Although living in San Francisco, I I do have to <laughs> say that the automatic is nice, and I probably drive it a lot more than I would otherwise. <laughs> um, but um, it just so happens that this car was an automatic, and so I, I jumped at it. People have told me that it's actually a more rare you know, more elusive combination to find the gray automatic. I don't know if that's true. It's not why I bought it. It just was a coincidence. I was actually looking to buy one sort of, uh, sort of on and on and off half seriously for many, many years. But when I started making this documentary and I started meeting people in the DeLorean community, I wound up interviewing over a hundred DeLorean owners. Wow. And what ended up happening is every time anyone wanted to sell their car, I would get messages on Facebook from pretty much everyone in the community. So I had like my finger on the pulse of all the DeLoreans that were available. It took a long time before there was one that really ticked all my boxes. You know, I knew I was never going to buy a concourse car. Having said that, I'm not a mechanic. I, I don't really work on the car except for electrical issues. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted something reliable that I could drive around in and not worry about. You know, I think it's like pretty regularly you see concourse cars with very high approaching six figure sum for sale. And you see really beat up cars in horrible condition that are going to need to have double or triple their asking price put into them. Right. It's really hard to find that car that's sort of like pretty good at a medium price range. Yeah. And that's what I found. I still ended up having to do a lot, a lot of work into it. One of the things for me was I wanted it to have a perfect aesthetic. So I knew that mechanically I would, I could put a lot of new parts into it and get a lot of new parts, but I know that certain components in terms of the original interior are uh, no longer available. And obviously certain stainless steel panels like the front, the front left fender are no longer available. So I wanted the body to be perfect, free of dents, free of cracks. And I wanted the interior to be perfect. And other than that, and that, and it really was. Oh, nice. I did have the car regrained. 
it needed it needed a regraining, but you know, structurally it was perfect. It was pretty much dent free and the interior was just perfect. Nice. And everything else mechanical, you don't really see what's wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's all it's all under the uh under the hood. I'm a two and a half year owner and I've taken that direction of I want the car to look the way it's supposed to look. But if it's things you can't see, uh, just, you know, normal people can't walk up and look at it. I, I don't mind making changes that are hidden. Uh, Chris Miles sourced and put together an LED, a nice big flat LED light that replaces the trunk light. And man, it is so bright. It is fantastic. It's, it takes two minutes to put in. I don't mind changing that because nobody ever sees that unless you open the trunk. And if people are standing there watching, that's fine. When You can't see it when you're driving down the road. Um, the new fuel lines, nobody can see that unless you open up the engine cover, uh, anything underneath. Uh, I've talked about on past episodes that I, I sent my original ASI radio over to Dimitri in France and had him put Bluetooth into it. I have the same thing. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, that's one of the best things I did because I wanted to keep the original stereo. Yeah, so for me, it's a, it's the same thing. Like aesthetically, I want anything that you can see in the car to be original. Yeah, finding that ASI radio was a was a multi year treasure hunt to find one. <laughs> but um, yeah, things that make the car safer and more reliable: new new fuel lines, new hoses, new gaskets. I I don't have original brakes. I have modified brakes that stop the car on a dime. You know, things like that, I want those things to be modernized. Yeah. When it comes to like the things that you actually see or look at, I want I want the car to be a time machine, so yeah. to speak. In yeah. in the sense that I want it to be like how it was. You know, I just I just think that I'm not a car designer and my ideas they're not gonna improve on the original design. I wanna re- preserve that original design. Yep. You know, not everyone would agree with me. I, I, I I'm <laughs> I think you should do what you want to your car, right. <laughs> do whatever you want. Yep. But for my car, I'm, I'm very much like a preservationist. I, that, that being said, I'm never going to be a concourse guy because I right. want to drive the car and yep. I want it to drive well. Yeah. You live in San Rafael, California, Northern California Bay Area. Did you find the car in the Bay Area or did you have to travel someplace for it? No. So in the end, the car was actually located in Indiana. I, I broke the cardinal rule of used car buying, which is I bought the car sight unseen. You're not the only DeLorean person that's done that. <laughs> the thing is, I would never recommend it, and I would never advocate it, and I, I wouldn't even do it myself. The, the thing is, is that by the time I finally bought my car, I knew so many members in the DeLorean community who yeah. had seen the car and who had vouched for the car and who had... Even I even knew people who had worked on this particular car in the oh, wow. past. I was pretty realistic. I knew what I was getting. I knew what it was. I knew what it wasn't. I knew what its value was. Having said that, it still was kind of a shock when I got it. Um, I, I was prepared for that shock, though. I knew <laughs> I knew exactly what I was getting into. So I have no I have no bad feelings about it. And everything that the guy represented about it was a hundred percent truthful. Yeah. So, you know, there's pretty much no frame damage, no rust, and everything that he said worked, worked, and everything that he said didn't work, didn't work. There were still some surprises because having been in Indiana, the car had never been through what in California we have the smog check. Yeah. So the car had never been smogged. 
the what was what was presented what was there as the catalytic converter was basically nothing more than a, <laughs> a shell a mocked up prop of pretending to be <laughs> there was no catalytic converter when i when i actually took it off to replace it just like dust poured out of it like sand poured out of it <laughs> it had no fun no functionality at all the way that i had the engine tuned for um whatever kind of gas they they have in indiana was that the tuning was all wrong and it would it would pretty much overheat the minute you started it but oh. to be honest w- once i took it to just like the garden variety garage and they just put a brand new cat and then did a basic tune-up and the car ran perfectly i've oh. never had a breakdown that's lucky. You haven't had it overheat since. Nope. I've never had any major problems. I do have it worked on pretty pretty regularly. I do all the oil changes on time or early. Yeah. And I'll, you know, I'm 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 very good at doing all my maintenance on it. But no, I've never never had a problem. And then um, <clears throat> I've taken it on a few road trips. I haven't gone the far the farthest I've taken it was to Las Vegas and back, and uh, from San Francisco to Vegas and back, and didn't have a single single problem. Awesome. Did you go for DeLorean Week in Las Vegas or something else? No. Well, that so that's actually a funny story. My Las Vegas DeLorean story was is actually also my wedding story. <laughs> so, being a part of the DeLorean community has changed my life in ways that I never could have possibly imagined or anticipated. Making my movie, working on this documentary, which is called Living the Dream, took me to Belfast, Northern Ireland where I originally went to uh, Eurofest, which is a, a gathering of DeLorean owners in Europe. And then subsequently, I went to a DeLorean factory reunion. Most of your listeners to the show probably already know this, but the car was built in Northern Ireland in Dunmurry, which is just outside Belfast. And a lot of the original workers who worked on the car, they're, they're still very much alive and very active in DeLorean events and in the DeLorean world, and they have so much information and, and so many rich stories to tell. This was the Eurofest and reunion just two years ago then. Well, I, so I've been there, I've been to Belfast a couple times. This is a really long preamble to the, to the Vegas wedding story. But um, I've been there se- several times over the course of, of uh, the last five or six years because of filming different interviews for my movie yeah. with people that, that built the DeLorean in the original factory in Northern sure. Ireland. Yeah. And who knew that doing that, I ended up meeting my wife in Ireland. I was traveling. I took an extra week to go to Dublin. You dog. That is awesome, man. So I I met my wife in Dublin, Ireland. So when she moved out to the United States a couple years later and we decided to get married, (laughs) neither one of us really wanted a wedding. Like neither one of us was, you know, dying to have this big wedding. Sure. And um, show. We it just wasn't in either one of our plans, and so we were talking about eloping. We we're talking about having a very small civil thing at the courthouse, and what would be meaningful to us. And my wife, who's from Ireland, actually suggested, "Well, we met because of the DeLorean. <laughs> we should do a drive-through wedding in Vegas in the DeLorean." That is aw- Holy cow! That's the best story I've heard so far. Well, so at that point, I knew I was marrying the right girl, for one thing. Um, yeah. So we actually went to the drive-thru. Her parents came from Ireland, and my parents and my brother came, and that was it. We had a very small ceremony um, with just our immediate family Nice. at the uh, drive-thru wedding in Las Vegas. We left two days early 
because I had no idea if the DeLorean would make it. I said, I, I've never driven it this far. <laughs> right. This is the farthest I've ever taken it. So it made it to the wedding just fine. We didn't need the extra day. And then it made it home just fine. Let's go back for a second. You had you said that uh, when you were looking for the DeLorean, this car, your car, had ticked all of your boxes. I had my list, which is in, uh, for many, many, many years, I had my list. And I, as I learned more about the car and the community, I thought it is going to be impossible to get my list. Through a miracle, every one of my, I only had five checkboxes, they all got checked. So what was on your list uh, that, that you were able to tick off? So I knew I wanted a gray interior and I knew I wanted a gas flap hood. Um, I was hoping I would find an 82 model year because I'm born in 82 and I, I wanted the same year as me. Don't ask me why, but I like That's great. superstitious things. Like no. I wanted to be able to tell people I'm the same age as the car. Yeah. But um, so that was an odd thing because uh, the only way that would happen is if someone actually had replaced the hood uh, because there were no 82 gas flap hood gray cars. You started doing the documentary before you owned a DeLorean. Yes, yeah, so now we'll get into the, the interesting part of the conversation. You can cut all that other nonsense out. No, no. So, yeah, well, I, I've been obsessed with the car my whole life. I started doing the documentary long before I ever owned one just because I, I loved them. And I sort of had this lifelong relationship with them that really began in earnest in college. I went to film school. I was uh, going to Chapman University in Orange, California, and I was studying uh, film production and I had written a, a movie that was a period piece set in the 80s called How Soon Is Now. And it was inspired by the John Hughes movies. It was really just a ripoff of like John Hughes movies. And I'd written in a DeLorean because, uh, you know, I, I, I just love the car and it's set in the 80s. And it was just basically an excuse to have one. <laughs> right. So, but I didn't think I would actually find one. So this was in like 2001. And I think at the time I put an ad on Craigslist and I, the ad was responded by Don Seeger at what at the time was the DeLorean Motor, Motor Center. Center in Garden Grove, right. which is really near Chapman. I didn't even know that. First of all, in 2001, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a DeLorean Motor Center anywhere, right. let alone, you know, Down in Orange street. County. Right, 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 yeah. So Don Steger ends up showing up on the set of my student film for no money. I mean, literally for free with not just one, but two DeLoreans. <laughs> he says, well, I brought, I brought a, I brought a, a gray one and a black one. You can take your pick. <laughs> and so that was kind of my first real flirtation with it. So then several years go by and I'd always remembered in the back of my mind that there's the DeLorean Motor Center, Don Steger. Now I'm, I'm out of college and I'm working in the film industry, but I'm also pursuing a career. I'm trying to get my own independent projects off the ground. Uh, I believe this was right around 2007. The DeLorean Motor Company in Texas issued one of their many, uh, but at the time, this was the first one that I had seen, sort of press releases about the fact that they were remanufacturing DeLoreans with all of the original parts. Right, right. And so I thought that was an incredible story. So I actually pitched this as a short film to the news organization called Current TV. Yeah. 
And so back in this, in 2007, they would actually pay for user generated content on TV. And it was kind of a weird thing that only happened for a minute. Yeah. And, uh, and so they ran out of money. So current, <laughs> yeah, well they ran out of money and also the content was probably not very good in my opinion, but, right. um, people are giving it away for free on YouTube. Why is someone going to pay for it? So that whole business model was still being fleshed out, <laughs> but I got, I got a thousand dollars from current TV nice. to do a, a news story on the fact that they were reman remanufacturing the DeLorean. Wow. And I called it, I called it back to the DeLorean. And what I did was I took the thousand dollars. I ended up spending like 5,000 because <laughs> you can't do anything for a thousand dollars. You can't even rent the camera for one day. Yeah. It's a joke. So I ended up spending $5,000 going down with some other friends from films down. And I got the whole rundown of what was going on by uh, Don Steger and Danny Botkin. And then I also interviewed Don's wife, Nancy Steger. And I interviewed um, some of the mechanics that work there. And so my plan was, well, I'm going to produce this short film for current TV, but I'm spending all my own money on the footage. So I'm going to keep the footage and I might make an, something else. There might be something else I can do with this DeLorean nice. footage. I go down and I, and I shoot for like a full day at garden Grove and I interviewed these people and I made the short film and I put it out there and I like never heard from them ever again. <laughs> and about, it must've been maybe, maybe two years later, I was on a, an airplane. It was, I was on a Virgin flight and Virgin had that had current TV on the plane and they were showing something called the, the best of current TV. And I was like the best of current TV. And they showed and I saw my yeah. movie. I saw, wow. I saw back to the DeLorean <gasps> on <clears> the plane. Thought, this was like, the, and it was, it was interspersed with like a Geico commercial. <laughs> and so I, I thought, wait a minute, like this is the, my little short film that I never even heard from them is the best of current TV and Geico is advertising. Nice. I thought, okay, well, there's definitely something to this story that resonated that I didn't even realize. And, and also why doesn't Geico, maybe Geico will finance a feature. Yeah. <laughs> so this was kind of like the birth of the idea that there was more to the story. The other thing that was happening at the same time is that people who had seen the current TV thing, I'd also put it up on YouTube as well, had been emailing me and they were saying like, well, I have a DeLorean, I'm in Wisconsin, or I have a DeLorean, I'm in Chicago, or I have this, I did this crazy thing to my DeLorean, I'm, I made a hovercraft. Right. I made this, you should come, you should come film me for, for your movie. Uh. There was like this weird assumption that there was a movie. I'm the kind of person that listens to those signs from the universe. Yep. And I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to make this feature film about DeLorean owners. Nice. And I, so, so sort of between 2007 and 2009, somewhere in between there, I sort of started the project in earnest. Just collecting footage and talking to people. Well, what I started doing was I started going to DCS, the DeLorean car show. And so the first one I went to was Las Vegas in 2009. And I started collecting people's stories. And then after going to a couple of these different things, the guys in Texas, like they started to open up to me. So they invited me to come down. I started filming them. It let it just one thing led to another. And so I eventually 
was invited to Eurofest to see what was going on in Europe and meet the factory workers. Nice. That was a huge milestone. I mean, that was a game changer for the, for the project because up until that point, I think I was still making what was basically a short film. It was a kind of a film that was like, there's a bunch of crazy DeLorean owners who are obsessed with their car and keep the car on the road and modify it and make, make it into a monster truck, make it into a hovercraft, <laughs> yeah. make it into a limousine. And isn't that neat? Isn't that neat and weird and crazy? And it, it, isn't, that, isn't that odd? But then when I went to Northern Ireland, it completely blew my world wide open because what I realized is that it's, there's actually a story of political intrigue and that the making of the DeLorean impacted these people's lives right. so profoundly. And there's nobody in Northern Ireland that does not have, that hasn't been touched in some way by the DeLorean story. Yeah. You get into a taxi, you're in a cab or you're at a bar and everyone says, you know, what are you doing? And oh, you're here from California. What are you doing? Oh, I'm making a documentary about DeLorean. Oh, DeLorean. Yeah. Oh, my uncle worked there or, <laughs> yeah. you know, Oh, DeLorean. Yeah. My, my, my dad worked there. Or, oh, I, I saw one. Yeah. I saw one. It was the coolest thing. I was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> or, Oh, I never want to hear that man's name again. That man <laughs> right. is not welcome here in, in Ireland. Yeah. I never want to hear speak of that man or that man was the greatest person to ever come to Northern Ireland. He's been, did more for our country than anyone. You know, you have these incredibly strong, feelings relationships yeah and feelings and emotions associated with it very first thing that happened when i got to northern ireland i mean it's very different because you meet a delorean owner in america and the delorean owner says let me show you my delorean you meet someone associated with delorean in northern ireland and it's come stay in my house oh, wow. <laughs> let me make you dinner come nice. stay with me and so i was being invited into these people's homes and i was being told tear filled stories about how it was the, mo the best job they ever had in their life. It stopped the violence and it saved their lives and right. it gave them peace. And so many of these profound stories and you go into these people's homes and I met people who had folders where they had every single pay stub that they'd ever received, wow. like laminated nice. and people who still had the uniform, they didn't give the uniform back or they still have the, the badge, their ID badge. Right. I mean, I don't know about you, Dave, but I've had dozens of jobs in my life and I'd be hard pressed to even remember all the jobs. <laughs> I don't save that. I don't save anything. You know, it just moved. It moved me profoundly that so many of these people had such a beautiful experience. And then you start getting into the whole political intrigue. There's uh, yeah. you know, uh, this conspiracy theory about Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, Reagan yep. and the IRA. Yep. And whether it's true or not, my film doesn't really purport to have any definitive answers, but I allow people to tell their stories. Sure. And some of the stories, whether they're true or not, they're incredible stories. Well, they're the stories from those people. Well, they're the perspectives. Right. That's their version of history and time. True or not, doesn't matter. It's how it impacted their lives. When I when I went to Northern Ireland, that's when I realized that this was a much bigger film to be made. That this was actually not a story about a car, but this is a story about people. Yeah. And that there's that it, there's an international story to tell, and that there was a feature length film 
and that I owed the subject matter a certain amount of reverence. And so it really changed my course. And I, I realized if I, if I had a million dollars sitting in the bank, I could have just written a check and had this movie produced and had the movie out. But I knew that I was going to be scrounging and paying for this movie out of my spare change. Yeah. So that's why it's taken me so many years. When I, when you say, when you said early in the intro, I've been working on the movie for over 10 years. It's not like I'm working on it for over 10 years every day. Yeah. There might be some, some years where I don't work on it at all. And then there might be some years where I work on it for two weeks. But for the most part, I've been working in my spare time and using my spare money just being patient and persistent and trying to tell the story in the, in the way that the story deserves and should be told. And um, I'm finally nearing the end of the journey where the movie's essentially finished. There now is a movie from start to finish. It's a feature length film. Nice. And it basically tells the story of the rise and demise of the car company, the resurrection of the car in popular culture thanks to back to the future and then the last 36 years of delorean ownership and the delorean community and what the people have done with the car uh, and keeping the car alive i'm still uh, raising money and hopeful that there will be investors that will come along to help pay for things that i can't do myself the uh, backbone of the movie is basically done um, and that's what's taken so long. And the rest is really just about raising the, you know, raising enough money to take it over the finish line. Yeah. And uh, if anyone out there wants to write a check and become an executive producer, uh, please, uh, please call me after the program and we, we can talk. <laughs> Good. Uh, so you started working on it in, in around 20, uh, 2007 and you only just bought your car three years ago. So for seven, six, seven years, you were, filming people, traveling to Ireland, going to DCS shows, and, and you weren't an owner. I, don't, I hope I never become one of the elitists that think that the, you know, that the DeLorean is a you know, one in a million Ferrari, but I know that for the many years that I wanted a car, for the few years I was a member of the, the Seattle DeLorean Club and did not have a car, I did not understand. I, just did, I don't think it's possible to truly understand the car unless you own one. But here you are making a movie about it and interviewing all these people. Now that you've owned the car for three years, you've had it long enough, you've driven it, you've enjoyed it, you know what, how people feel about it, the car itself when you drive it. When you look back on the previous seven years, six, seven years of not having the car and doing all the filming, uh, are you surprised at some of the questions you asked or, or was it a natural progression in, in learning from all the other people? Every, every single person encouraged me to become an owner. In general, the owner base likes to share their DeLoreans. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I would, people would hand me their keys. You know, I will also say that making the movie and putting myself out there and going out on Facebook and seeking people to contribute into the film probably opened a lot of doors for me that a lot of people might not otherwise have. But I, I will say that uh, the DeLorean community is, is pretty well advertised and uh, they're all over Facebook. And well, and that's what I mean. Now, it's, this, is, this is not, you know, back in my day, but in the 90s, mm -hmm. you know, DeLorean mailing list was pretty much it. Oh, sure. Well, like I said, when I was making my film in college, 
and I put an ad out on Craigslist saying, I'm looking for a DeLorean. Does anybody have one? I had no idea that there was a DeLorean motor center down the street. Yeah. So I just didn't know my history, but these cars have this very unique situation that happened to them where even though the car company that manufactured them went out of business, this whole cottage industry sprouted up that supported them. Obviously, the big one is it's Back to the Future, but also the internet. Back to the Future alone, sure, brought it into the spotlight and a lot of people learned about it and found out about it. But I really think it was when the internet took over is when suddenly people around the world could see the pictures. In the, 90, in the early 90s, in the mid 90s, I worked on I worked at Microsoft on Internet Explorer version four. I I never and I was a DeLorean nut then. There was no DeLorean pictures. It was the DeLorean mailing list, and that was you know very old. And there were not pictures in that for the most part. So yeah, having the internet has changed DeLorean um, future ownership for a lot of people because they can follow the car. I think a huge part of that, a huge amount of the credit is probably owed to DMC Talk which was like a, a DeLorean forum. And then a lot of that, that's still active, but a lot of that community subsequently migrated to Facebook right. and the community became enriched. And then now on Facebook, of course, you have every major city in the world has yep. a DeLorean group. There's a group in Puerto Rico. There's a group in New Zealand. Yep. And again, I only know this because I was making a film about it. I actually, I actually traveled to New Zealand for the first ever in history DeLorean Owners Meetup of New Zealand. Nice. It was amazing. There was like 14 cars that showed wow. up there. I mean, who even knew that there were 14 cars in New Zealand? <laughs> right. Period. Right. Let alone that they were all available on this one weekend day to come together. I just think that it speaks to the mystique and the allure of the car that there is an international community surrounding it. Yeah. yeah. And there's a level of fun. There's a fun aspect to it that doesn't exist in any other car. There is something really unique and magical. And it's one of the things I'm trying to discover what that is and shed light on that in the documentary. Nice. It's funny that you said that because this last weekend for me, the DeLorean San Diego club had a tech event and just driving down there, it took me about two hours from where I'm at in Orange County. And it's just so fun to drive the car. And the question popped into my head, is is there anybody that has more fun driving their car than a DeLorean owner? Because even if, you, I don't care how fast, if you got a Bugatti or a Ferrari or something that does 8 million miles an hour, you can't drive it that fast anywhere on public roads. Well, I'll tell you for me, the fun, the fun with those cars ends the minute I get the insurance bill. <laughs> um, I would be like, oh, no, no fun. But the DeLorean owner is a very unique type of person. I mean, it, it attracts a unique personality. And you see this time and time again at car shows. You see a DeLorean pulls up next to a Lamborghini or a Pagani or something and something else, usually with interesting doors. <laughs> and uh, the DeLorean's parked right next to it. And you know, the person who owns the other car will be standing there with his arms folded, scowl on the face, and will have nothing to say to anyone. Don't no touching, no touching. Can I sit in it? No. Can I can my son take a picture on it? Don't touch it. Don't lean against it. Don't lean against it. And you see this time and time again. And meanwhile, the DeLorean person is 
just like, oh yeah, have your kids sit in the driver's seat. I'll take their picture. Yeah. And I see this t- time and time again. It's a, just a different type of, of personality. It's a different type of owner. It's a type of an owner that is sort of extroverted and likes to share and likes to talk and hold court and, you know, talk about their car and share it with other people. I don't know a lot of other car enthusiasts who necessarily all share that, that characteristic, but it seems to be that all DeLorean owners share this characteristic, that they are very outgoing and that they want to share the car and that they actually are having a lot more fun with their car. And probably because it's by no means a cheap car, but um, it's probably because it's not going to kill you if something happens to it. It's not going to bankrupt the the family dynasty (laughs) um, if if something goes wrong. So it's accessible. I think it's impossible to be pretentious about the car with any degree of credibility. It is a fun car. It always has been fun. And I think that the owners who have embraced that, they're having fun. So with your wife being from Ireland, does she, and now do you call it the trunk or the boot? (laughs) Well, I'm adopting all of her Irish uh, colloquialisms (laughs) because they're just so much better than ours. Uh, So with, with the DeLorean, I never knew what to call it. I mean, I guess Tesla calls it the trunk. I used to call it the bonnet. And I heard several people call it the bonnet when I was in Belfast, Northern Ireland, which is, again, the UK. So that that might be the British way of saying it. I don't know. I always called it the bonnet. Just in general, uh, not referring to the DeLorean, referring to other cars, I I say boot. Because as my wife would correct me, she would uh, inform me elephants have trunks. Uh, so your wife is the one that encouraged you to take the car to Vegas to get married since the car brought you together. Is she 50% as passionate about the car as you are? Is she into it or is this kind of your hobby? I wish she was here so she could speak for herself right now. My wife is not as passionate about the car in the same way that I am. I mean, keep in mind, you're talking to a guy that spent more than 10 years making a documentary about it <laughs> right. and has interviewed over 100 people about it. So, no, I'm, I'm a little bit excessive. <laughs> <laughs> but my wife has excellent taste. She has impeccable style and taste when it comes to cars. I'm actually, I'm hard pressed to even think of a time when I disagree with her taste in cars. So she does like the DeLorean. She finds it to be comfortable. She finds it to be stylish. I think she enjoys it. She really enjoys meeting all the new people and the doors that it opens and doing these events. And we just get to see and meet people and do things that we never would have done. From that point of view, I think she loves it and she adores it. From the point of view of I'm up at five in the morning trying to get fingerprints off of it before a show. She doesn't quite share that level of passion right. with me. Right. That can be forgiven. She supports the car. She has fun with it as well. You know, not every spouse uh, is as into the car. Uh, they're more likely to say, just go do your thing, and that's your hobby. So, well, a couple last questions for you. Okay. Do you remember what the mileage was when you bought the car, and how many miles have you put on it since? Well, I can tell you I just passed 50,000 miles. Wow. Which... It's pretty young still. So I got, I got a youngin. Well, I, I've heard of people that have gone 
multiple hundreds of thousands. And knowing that you're enjoying the car and it's not a museum piece, I always try closing with it because it seems like a silly question, but it's for partially my own learning. What's in your trunk right now? <laughs> so in my in my trunk or my bonnet? <laughs> right. Um, so there is the original stainless steel car care kit that came with the car when it was purchased new, um, which is there strictly for show purposes. Um, there is, uh, of course, the, the completely useless and arguably dangerous spare tire. <laughs> also, for show purposes, uh, the original tools are still there. Nice. And then I have a, a quite a robust toolkit. I have like a fold out, like a tri-fold, you know, just a basic toolkit. And then last, last but not least, I have my stainless steel polish, rubber gloves, and <laughs> microfiber cloth for cleaning it, <laughs> which right. basically happens at, on every outing. Right, right. <laughs> right. Well... Definitely looking forward to uh, hearing, you know, hearing that the movie is being released in, in any form. Is that is that going to happen in 2019, or is that still up in the air? At this point, the film is at a point where it's completed from a creative and an artistic standpoint. It's there. What needs to happen now are the finishing touches, such as sound, graphics, uh, music, things that require third parties. Yeah. And I am still raising raising funds to do that. So there's I can't give you an exact date when that's going to happen, but I will say that it's all happening very proactively at this point. Every every facet is moving forward. So if I were to be optimistic, I I could say within within the year, but I'll just say at this point that it's it's not yet known, but uh I'm I'm working on it as hard as I can to do it as quickly as possible. Great. Well, it was a pleasure meeting you at DCS and chatting and thanks for taking the time to join me here and get your story because it, it yours definitely is an interesting story and I would say pretty unique. Well, thank you for having me. The pleasure was mine. Thanks again, Jordan, for joining me and for all those people out there that are listening. Thank you very much for spending the time and for all the wonderful emails. Be sure to check out DeLorean Talk on pretty much all the social media platforms. Give comments, tell tell others about it, spread it around your local car club if you have one. I would love to interview some DeLorean Club presidents around the world to hear about their clubs and what they're doing so that other clubs can get some ideas from you if you're doing something fun or unique. And I, I promise I will do more of these and get more interviews done with, with owners. And if you have connections with somebody that, you that are important to the community, please do forward on my information. It would be great to get some more uh, fancy people, not just normal, uh, normal people like us, to uh, tell the stories. So drive safe and uh, watch the fingerprints. 